0: Last week, Caitlin, my wife, and I sent off, uh, when you RSVP for like a wedding, you know, all the different styles, they send you the envelope and the dates and all the things. You have to tell them whether you're coming, whether you want like the chicken or the steak, or I guess maybe people do more like bars and burgers and so many cool things than just the chicken or the steak these days. But you fill that in, and then you send it off, and you tell them you're coming. I was reminded when we were doing this of our wedding. And we have like, you know, you get your venue and then you think about how many people and you're trying to do like the math and on the the cost of all these things. So very quickly, you start to work through like who's who, who are we inviting to our wedding? And you very quickly realize like, we got to make some hard decisions or else this is, you know, potentially going to be larger than what we thought. Um, And it means that we're not going to invite certain people that actually we know, we love, we grew up with or whatever it is. And then, I mean, think about last time you went on vacation maybe with a group of friends. Like you picked two, three, four people, and maybe you went on a trip or you went out to dinner or something like that. You probably could have had more friends on that trip or at that dinner, and but you chose those ones. Or maybe as we're in graduation season, you're either inviting someone to a graduation party or you got in, invited to a graduation party. All, all the different life events that we have really becomes a space of being invited, or inviting people to. And the challenge with invitation is that you choose who you're inviting, which also means who you're not inviting. And I wonder for us this morning, those that are following the ways of Jesus and proclaiming to be a disciple of Jesus, how that actually shows up in our faith. As we would say that we've been invited into life with God, We've been invited into the family of God. We've been invited to the table of God. And then we, you know, kind of do this church thing and we think through how we connect with other people and maybe then who I start to invite to church or not, percentages are down on us actually inviting people to church. But then on a larger level, I wonder how we start to like view other people and inviting them to life with God. Where we start to draw lines on who's in, who's in, And who's out? Who who are the people that you would invite to your 150-person wedding? And who are those that don't deserve to be there, aren't good enough to be there, are too bad to be there, are doing the wrong things to be there? And very quickly, this idea of invitation and inviting people to enjoy life with, we start to determine who's in and who's out. And this morning, we're going to finish our series in Luke. And we've been looking at the ways in which God is breaking through into the lives of everyday, ordinary people, and how oftentimes it's the people that we least expect. And so my question for us this morning, are you a person of invitation? When you think about your life, when you think about how you operate with others, when you think about those that are different than you, when you think about the ways that of people's lives you don't understand and don't care for, are you a person of invitation? And to kind of communicate this, what we're going to watch here in a second is a video of Lila Van Gerpen, one of our overseers here, interviewing my cousin Adriana who lives up in Berkeley and who has been a part of Midtown virtually since we started, you know, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and you'll hear a little bit more of her story here in a sec, so I won't ruin it. But I just want you to listen as someone who proclaims to be an outside skeptic of church. And pay attention to her story, and then I'll come back up, I'll close it with a little bit of scripture, and then we'll go into our ministry time. So, let's go ahead and play that video.
1: Adriana, it is so good to be with you today. I'm looking forward to this conversation with you. So thank you for having it. Why don't we start by having you just share a little bit about yourself and how you got connected to Midtown. Sure. Um, So my name is Adriana, as she mentioned. um, I got connected to Midtown pretty easily because uh, I am related to Ryan. So Ryan is my cousin. Um, But in terms of why I even chose to seek out a church opportunity, um, I, during COVID, was just talking with one of my best friends who is a pretty devout Christian and she um, asked me to join an alpha course, um, which she pushed as for skeptics, which kind <laughs> of perfectly describes who I am. Um, and so nice. I did that. And I really enjoyed having those conversations. And it was something that I just, in a time where I felt so disconnected, that was mm. in 2020 when like no one was hanging out with anyone. I wasn't going to my parents or anything. So it was actually a good way to stay connected to my friend um, and also just explore questions that I'd had for a while. And so when that ended, I was looking for sort of a way to continue that. Um, And because Midtown, you know, I saw through Ryan that it was happening on Zoom every Sunday. um, I was like, well, I can Zoom in. That's easy. And so I started coming and um it was just super thought-provoking and i was able to talk to ryan on the phone a few times about where i was at in that journey um and got connected with you for home to home so that's kind of um, my story about how i'm associated with Mint. yes yeah we got connected through the first like iteration of home to homes and we were on the virtual home to home right so Mm -hmm. um so you mentioned doing the Alpha course. Did you mm-hmm. grow up with any sense of church or faith in your family? Yeah. So I, um, we didn't necessarily go to church as a family, um, but both my parents were raised Catholic okay. and I, the reason we didn't go to church is that my dad had been divorced before he met my mom. And so in the Catholic faith at the time, we mm-hmm. were just kind of uninvited once you had been divorced and so i think that is it certainly shaped my relationship with faith as i grew up um but my next door neighbors were um i'm not sure exactly what delineation of christianity but they went to church all the time and i would go over there and we would do dances to christian rock music and all sorts of stuff um so i grew up around faith in different ways i had Jewish friends, we went to all the holidays for that. And then later in life, I went to a Catholic high school. um, And that's when I started learning a bit more about it. Um, And then a Jesuit university. And now I've taught at Catholic schools for five years. So um, I'm involved in like this professional sense, but um, didn't necessarily have like a personal relationship to the church. Yeah. So what has it it been like? We've spent about two years off and on, I think, studying scripture together. Um, More recently this year, we've been looking at the life of Jesus through the gospels. Um, How has Jesus impacted your experience around faith? What's, What's compelling you about Jesus? I think one of the, there's a lot of reasons I really like the home to home discussions and I think first and foremost, it's that I'm allowed to arrive to those discussions and ask all the questions I have and sort of express the, not only doubt, but express anything I'm not understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't feel any pressure to just sort of take everything as is. Um, It feels like a really lively discussion, Um, and it also just feels like a discussion that's not only about what we're reading in scripture, but how it impacts our lives. Mm -hmm. And so that's always nice to just hear how it's influencing other people's thoughts and behaviors and relationships. And so that's something that I find really fulfilling within those conversations. Um, Yeah, I just am always thankful that I, have the freedom to kind of be myself yeah. in those meetings. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as someone who's been alongside you in this too, I would say I love the curiosity that you bring, and you have really great insight. I think that might be your teacher background. Like, you just come with such great questions and insight, and it's you make studying the Bible really safe for for me as well. And so, I really love that time with you. Um, Well, let me ask you on the other side of that. What have some of your fears been as you've been investing in faith and taking steps towards Jesus? So as you've been discovering more about Jesus, like where are you experiencing resistance in that experience? Um, I would say some of the resistance I feel is just the, the general outlook of Christian that I've gotten as I've grown up and what I see in the media. Um, sometimes I I watch and I don't feel that I resonate with that type of Christianity. And by that type, I, I guess what I'm talking about more is um, there's a lot of times when I see Christians depicted as excluding others. Mm-hmm. And it's it's all about who can be part of this and who cannot be part of this. Yeah. and there's times where that just doesn't feel like what I'm reading about.
0: Mm -hmm. And so
1: it's really hard for me to put those two things together. And then on top of that, just like personally, I have friends who would not be included in many Mm -hmm. Christian settings for whatever lifestyle choices uh, that they have um, Mm -hmm. or who they are as people. And I think as someone who felt right that my own dad was excluded from his religious upbringing. I I always am very resistant resistant of anything that feels like we're just deciding who gets to be part of this and who yeah. doesn't and not this inclusive, welcoming. If it's not about unconditional love, it just doesn't really yeah. feel like what I'm reading about. And so it yeah. just feels a little hypocritical. So that's yeah. kind of the resistance of, I'm still not necessarily comfortable proclaiming to friends or anything like I'm a Christian and I'm doing Bible study because I'm really worried about, well, when they hear that, are they going to think I do not love them or I don't like, yeah, what do I think about them? And so that's something I always want to be really careful about. Yeah. And can you say a little more, you said like this, this idea of like exclusive, belonging, being contingent on like, you know, like doing the right thing or acting the right way versus what you're seeing in scripture. Could you say Mm -hmm. a little bit about what you're seeing about scripture, about Jesus that feels like intention with this exclusive idea? Yes. Um, well, I know that one thing just in terms of the Bible that has always not necessarily giving me pause, but made me think about is there is always this discussion of how we behave now determines like who gets to heaven. And it becomes this like in group and out group. If you do these right things, not only will you be rewarded in this life, but you will be rewarded in heaven. And it seems like those storylines of like that is what religion is it is doing all the right things so you get rewarded now and later Mm -hmm. just doesn't seem compatible with any of the things that we've been reading or that Mm -hmm. I had kind of known about before but I know that I just um I mean we just talked about that it's a it's a service it's being of service to others and I think one of the things that Ryan said in the first um, times I joined at Midtown is he was just talking about the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And he said something about, right, that this is to create heaven on earth. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden something like clicked for me. I'm like, yes, that's that's kind of what I've been thinking. And that's what I've been resisting is Mm -hmm. it's not about Who's going to get in in this afterlife? It's how can we be people together now and create that unity now in this life? And so that's like, that's been huge for me just in terms of kind of pushing away the ideas of who's in and who's out and just opening up to what is it? what are we really being called to do? How, how are we being called to be with one another and in relation to one another? Yeah, I know there's a bunch of times, particularly this year, I think, where I've just, we've talked about like, oh my gosh, Jesus is like flipping the script on who belongs in the kingdom, right? And it's yeah. the people on the margins and it's the people whose stories don't get dignified and he just brings dignity to them. And just like how much intention, how much that, um, contrast with this idea of exclusivity and inside outside of belonging and stuff. So yeah, I appreciate your insights on that. Um, I also, one of the things that has really got me thinking in in the last time we were able to meet, we were discussing the humanity of Jesus, right? He's both Mm -hmm. God and man. And I think reading things and just focusing on the humanity has been so helpful for mm-hmm. me. Um, the moment we were discussing was when he sort of mourned with everyone, right? Right before raising someone yeah. from the dead. And we were kind of talking about how interesting that he knows that that's that he's about to change this whole thing and yet he's still gonna mourn and, and feel that human emotion. Yeah. Um, and something I was thinking about too just as a Catholic school teacher teaching about Easter, um, is in when he was crucified, even though he'd spent all of this time saying, this is the plan, I'm gonna die for you. Like, I'm not gonna be here. I know the plan, I'm with the plan. Right before he dies on the cross, he said something about like, Father, why have you forsaken me? Or like, why is this happening? And it just, made me like, oh, even Jesus had this moment where he didn't understand the plan or he didn't understand why it had to happen the way it happened. And so that's something that just makes me more compassionate with myself when I'm like, oh, when I don't understand why something is happening the way it's happening, or I don't understand like, like, oh, I'm just, kind of talk to God and be like, why, why this, why now? Yeah. Jesus did that too. It's not yeah. some weakness in me. It's, it's human. And that was the human part of him. And so that's sort of where I am is I'm really looking to what were the human parts and what was his experience yeah. and how can I be more compassionate with myself um, when I feel those same things. Yeah, it sounds like particularly like to um, validate the discovery process and Mm -hmm. the curiosity and the doubts and the questions um, as it's like a healthy part of the process of faith. Absolutely. Yes. I love that. Well, what are some of the questions that you're carrying that you you have about Jesus right now? I mean, you've talked a little bit about the um, exploring Jesus' humanity. What are some other Mm -hmm. things? You know, I think I'm just, I have gained so much from actually reading the text. I think when I was younger, I was taking the words and the quotes from others about, you know, what Christians thought or, you know, well, this is how it should be because it says this and this in the Bible. Um, And whether that seemed like, oh, that seems right, or that doesn't really feel like, a good thing, Um, I just sort of took it as is. And so I think where I'm at right now is just enjoying sort of reading it for myself and having a better understanding. Um, And one of the things I've really enjoyed within our small group discussions is that you bring in all the context of like, this is when this was written, this was the history and, This is why they might've said something in this way. Um, And so I think in terms of like what questions I have, it's just the questions that come up as I continue to read and understand it better for myself. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, Okay, let's imagine into the future, five years from now, (laughs) where do you hope to see your faith move towards? This was one I, struggled with a little bit when you said you were going to ask about because I think there's a part of me right now that's trying not to pre- predict the future. Yeah. But um, I think where I would like to see my faith is um, I would like to be more comfortable just like in prayer, in talking to God. I know that you always know when we you know, bring our small group to an end and anyone's just allowed to say whatever they want. Um, the, the Catholic in me is like, no, there's specific prayers you say at specific times and you don't just talk willy-nilly about anything. Um, so I think yep. Um, one of the things I am trying to learn is just like how I can have um, a better sort of my own conversation with God. Um, and I actually just learned about something I'm curious to explore, which is two-way prayer, where you write a question to God, and then you just write down everything that comes to your mind with the idea that somewhere in there is the message that God wants to give you. So that's something I'm interested to explore. Um, But yeah, that's where I hope I can grow in sort of communication with God. Yeah, I love that. And it seems really vital that as you are getting to know God, like getting to know Jesus, getting to mm-hmm. know and kind of filling in the picture of who, um, you know, what Jesus actually did and what Jesus actually said, um, rather than kind of just a little, you know, like what I hear um, from other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to I think that that um, is such a vital part of like helping us connect in prayer in honest and genuine ways, right? Mm-hmm. Really, um, yeah, there's a lot of freedom in our small group, too. Pray if you feel comfortable and don't pray if you don't. Yeah. Um, but I love the ways that you want to take risks in that in the future, for sure. Um, well, let's end with a opportunity an opportunity. So you have been around Midtown for a couple years since the pandemic, really. And mm-hmm. even though it's been at a distance virtually through um, virtual Zoom church and then also home to home, what is you know, do you have like an encouragement you'd like to leave us as a Midtown community, as a church? Yeah, I mean, I would just say keep doing this in that I love that you are trying to engage with people who are questioning faith, who are exploring their faith, who have doubts, who have fears. Um, It just is opening a door that I know that when I was trying to open doors and figure out, okay, where is it safe to explore? There were times where I opened doors and I didn't feel that safe to explore and ask questions and speak my mind. And I just feel like it speaks volumes that you are reaching out to people in your church community to highlight people who have doubts, people who are skeptical about things, you know, people who have questions. Um, Because I think what I've learned in this whole experience is even the people who have been Christians for a long time have questions. (laughs) They have questions about life. And so bridging that gap between people just entering and people who have been thinking about this for a long time is just, um, it's huge. And so, yeah, just keep being open to curiosity. I love it. Thank you so much for both sharing your story now, but also for the couple years that we've been able to just invest in each other's learning. I've learned as much from you, I think, as you've talked about um, the ways that you've grown. So I really appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship, and I'm glad that we have gotten to intersect in these ways. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Absolutely.
0: So I'd I'd be curious how her story confronts you a little bit. Um, In what ways, maybe was there something sad that you're like, oh, I don't know about that? In what ways was something said where you might be like me and be like, I think she's following Jesus. Right? Like without putting a a title on it or a name like Christianity. Because we can do one of two things. We can identify as a Christian or we could follow Jesus. And the things that she's pointing out, she's from the outside looking in, seeing a disconnect between the two. For many who have said, I am a Christian, but are not following the ways of Jesus. May it be that we are following the ways of Jesus, and then we can be a Christian. I love just the nuances she has and the questions she's asking, and Lila just to hold space for two years to, to ask questions and to read Scripture together and just hold space for someone that is curious and hasn't had that space elsewhere, and has plenty of friends and relationships that don't have that space elsewhere. So we're going to do the story of Zacchaeus in about five minutes here. Jesus entered in Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He was outside of religion. He was actually seen as taking advantage of his own people, and he was a chief tax collector. So he was not just collecting the wages. He was making money on the collected wages more and more each time wages were collected. He, he was a bad man. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Remember that story and likely if you grew up in church, you heard the little song. Average male is about five feet tall. So this dude, pretty short. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, he was intrigued. He was curious. There was something that was propelling him to climb up in a tree with a dress on, which could be a very humiliating position for anyone to be in, but even more so for a man in that day. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked And said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to murmur. He has gone to be a guest of a sinner. What is Jesus? Does he not know who this man is? To go and to be a guest to eat with. You can imagine a married couple and what intimacy is like. There's a very similar, it was an intimate space to eat with. To eat with your hands, to wash feet, to sit on the ground together. He is doing one of the most intimate things you can do. And everyone does not like it. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. What is he thinking? What would your success-driven coworkers think of you taking time off work once a month to sit with the houseless and share a meal? What would your progressive friends think of you getting to know someone who is pro-life? How would your old-school parents feel about you becoming friends with someone of the LGBTQ community? What would your friends from high school think of you becoming friends with a wealthy real estate developer seen as gentrifying a neighborhood? What would your conservative friends think of you showing up to a protest in support of marginalized people of color? As they watch you, are they murmuring? What are they doing? They are living life with sinners. Richard Belotus, in this last chapter I brought up earlier, he says three things in regard to reconciling with others. We need to leave our world. You need to leave your world. You actually need to enter into the world of others to to be vulnerable, to be exposed, to sit with the unknowns, to not know how it's going to go, to feel like you might be judged or criticized, and then as you enter into someone else's world, you actually practice being in their world by humbling yourself, by listening by asking questions, by not owning the space, by not determining what they can or cannot say, not predetermining what the outcome should be of this person's life. And you are to allow yourself to be formed by others. Open up to their worldviews while still holding to yourself. I think that is one of the greatest lies of this time that you can sit across the table from someone different than you and all of a sudden you're going to just be completely begotten to whoever they are or what they're up to. You can still hold to who you are and your convictions, but you can still hold them openly compared to someone else's story, their worldview, their perspective, the way in which they see God, the way in which they've experienced culture. May we be formed by being people who have like curiosity. And there's a mystery to things we don't have completely figured out. We actually ask questions and then we like shut up and listen. Those early ones might feel a little bit big that I rattled off. I bet you have neighbors that live somewhere in and around you and I bet you they're different than you. Maybe a hello and a hi and stand and have a short conversation. I don't know, see where it goes. Maybe it's your coworker. Rather than just punching the clock, getting in and out, maybe it is sitting down in the break room and having lunch, whatever it is. There's other people in your life who are different than you already. You don't have to go very far. And maybe, because we live in an extroverted world, for those of us that are more introverted, what are the books that you're reading? What are the podcasts that you're listening to? What are the documentaries that you're watching? Can you actually sit with something and read it and take it in that you don't agree with? And can you embrace it with mystery and say, "For me." me ask questions. You may not be able to talk to the person, but what kind of questions is it bringing up in you? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount and Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus just forgave sins and gave someone eternal life. To everyone around, he is not just a teacher. He is not just a miracle worker. By, God, by Jesus doing this, he is proclaiming that he is God. That he is Yahweh. That he is the creator of all things. And This is where things get a little bit wonky. Because when he says this, Jesus is not just one of invitation. He's also saying God is a God of invitation. And oftentimes we have two views. One says God is hateful and wrathful and is after us and wants to punish us. And we have to watch out every corner that we turn and he's going to get us and all these things. And there's the other one where he's my homeboy. Like we go way back, we kick it together, we're cool, you know. But he holds the tension of these two and he says, I am not only inviting you, I'm inviting myself into life with you, especially those outside of who thinks they have it all together. But then he doesn't just leave you there. Zacchaeus' turn of repentance actually moves him to see his resources for other people. If God is just my homeboy, is he actually confronting me and changing who I am? Does the world really just need more of you? Or does the world need the uniquely created and crafted and wired and gifted you that is open to how God is calling you to more, to be so much more than just the innate self that you find yourself in? How is he using you? How is he calling you? And how is he using other people in your life to make you in to more, to make you into His image. If every single person here is creating the image of God, well guess what? Every single one of us has something to offer each other in who God is. And if we just stay within our own worldview, and our own culture, our own people group, the ones that we invite to our dinner table, just the ones that we like, our life will be so self limiting And we will miss out on that God is inviting all people to life with Him. And I know I want, to pl- I want to see God move in people's lives that otherwise do not think he can move in their life. Because society has said, no, you've either been oppressed too much or you've oppressed too much. You do not have enough or you have way too much. He is for all people. He is inviting all people to life with him, which means he's inviting all people to life with you. He's inviting me to life with others as I experience life with God. Like, can we be people of in invitation. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Oh, it is good news to be lost. I know our culture said, man, you, you, can't, you can't be lost. You can't have questions. You can't just be on the, the cusp of figuring it out. You know, you need to know your place and your work, and you got to have your career path, and hey, you got to hurry up and get married and have kids. I mean, you just keep going. But God is saying, are you lost? Because I am looking for you. Over and over again, because then we think we arrive somewhere, but then he's saying, no, you still don't have it. You are still lost. You need more of me. And I know that when I forget that I'm lost, I am so much worse for other people because I have it. I've got it. I'm good. Are you lost? That is good news because God is inviting you to more. He's inviting you to to redefine your life in a way that he wants to use it that will blow your mind over and over and over again. Can we embrace that we are lost? For the Son of Man came to seek and save, the lost What good news it is to be lost.